Hello, everyone. My name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the number one show all about the world of Joshi Pro Wrestling. Episodes drop every other Monday where we discuss the biggest Joshi news, review shows, and preview the hottest upcoming Joshi action. So whether you're a new fan or an old fan, we've got something here for you at Jumping Bomb Audio. Check us out on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Fast to Open the Voice Gate for August 29th, 2023. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find our show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or on our dedicated Open the Voice Gate feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box to sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one time or reoccurring donation no obligation whatsoever but we would like to thank all of our previous donors i'm one of your hosts it's your old pal mike spears joined alongside case low as always in case feels kind of like in, in the greater scheme of things like dragon gate right now like i i i i don't know how, how are you doing wrestling wise it'll be like like this has been kind of a fever dream i feel like over the last like six weeks that just kind of came to the head on sunday with wrestling as a whole yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how how are you holding up? The, I, I know you just got to see, see a Torneo Cibernetico. I know that does that might spike your blood sugar. I'm just making yeah, sure that's you're okay. The, that's the funny thing is I'm in a position in my wrestling fandom where I'm saying, thank God for Lucha. You know, I really enjoy CMLL, and I, I subscribe to their YouTube channel, their paid gimmick now. I watched Mystico versus Hiromu live on Sunday night. And if you haven't seen that match, it is not a balls to the walls. Great match. They're capable of. It's a super character heavy match, which I thought was incredibly entertaining. I went four stars on that. And then uh, like you were just alluding to right before we started recording, I watched the CMLL Grand Prix uh, cybernetico match from this year. And that is the best CMLO match I've watched all year. Uh, you know, four and a half stars, which is right where they have sort of topped out for me. I, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's a stress-free promotion. I watched the, you know, typically the last three or four matches on an Arena Mexico show and then anything from the Playboy show that looks interesting. And I really, really enjoy it. Whereas AEW is a wash. I am, all out is happening in my backyard 
I had a free ticket to all out and I let the guy know that I was supposed to go with this week. Like, yeah, you know, I, I, I think I'm good. I, I don't think I'm going to go to that. Uh, Ring of honor, waste of time, new Japan. I can check in on cause the hits are very high, but they miss every once in a while. And I don't care for, you know, uh, l- l- let me put it this way. New Japan. I really like some stuff and I really don't care about some stuff. Uh, Noah is Noah. No, thank you. All Japan is whatever. And Dragon Gate continues to be a promotion that I don't think is very exciting, but is also not bad. And in the current context of the wrestling world, I will take not bad over much of what is available. Yeah, I need to hunt down the Torneo Cibernetico. It That is case actually my favorite ma- match stipulation. I think it's one of the more unique and cool things that uh, Grand Prix each year. I just think that it's something that uh sadly like i learned about it from chikara whereas i feel like that that's how most non-endemic lucha fans discovered the tornado cybernetico but yeah it's funny i thought that watching it was like god i wish somebody else did this other than quackenbush what a cool concept both the the concept of the grand prix which i guess tna kicked around for a little bit but you know it was tna and, you know, that match style, again, it's really only uh, been done by Chikara. I don't think, like, even at the height of Shima and his wacky gimmick matches in Drangate, I don't think Drangate ever did one. No, I mean, they found a way to completely re- reinvent the wheel in a in another fashion with, like, loser revives, Nanawa rules, secret captain elimination falls match. You know, like, that's a, <laughs> it got to that point. But I think, like, the brilliant thing about, like, the Grand Prix, at least CMLLs, is they always set it up to be CMLL versus the world. And with the Tornado Cibernetico format, you always have one winner that way. And it's just like, oh, that makes perfect sense for like a one night big event. Do your World Cup kind of gimmick. You do it that way. And it's something that like, yeah, no, like you would almost think during like peak Junction 3 versus Blood Warriors case that they, they surely did a Cibernetico. No, to my knowledge, Dragon the Dragon System has never done a Tornado Cibernetico. It might have happened in Mexico under like a Toriyaman Mexico show or like a Dragon Mania I know has had Cyberneticos, but not the mainline Dragon system to my knowledge. Uh, I'm not going to look it up because it ultimately doesn't matter, but I think the T2P guys did a Cybernetico really early on in their career, and it's one of those I thought it was in Mexico. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm saying, is I think there's like an early Toriyaman Mexico show from the T2P class where they do that. And, you know, we maybe have four minutes of the 36 minutes or whatever, but, you know, watching that to, to sort of tie this into Dragon Gate, as we also approach the end of the year, and I start thinking about the SFM 50, the 50 best wrestlers in the world, Rocky Romero, who is 40 years old, TJ Perkins, who is 38 years old, and Yasushi Kanda, who just turned 45 years old, all will be in my top 50, all arguably having the best years of their career. I am all for youth. I am all for new. I am all for pushing forward. I love that these old dudes are having the years they're having. Yeah, and it's something I I feel like that when you see like like Rocky Romero, he's had this run in Mexico where he's been allowed to kind of finally like spread his wings and show himself as a frontline Rudo, which is so fascinating. TJP, like as someone who like bounces around the world, it just seems like between how Catch 2-2 went for him and then also whenever he shows up in CMLL, he 
always it it, it always fits in a way because he, he comes across so good in CMLL, and I yeah. love what he does in New Japan. I mean, look, TJP is a turd. The guy I don't want to be around. The guy I don't want to be the guy's friend. But he was far too talented to be doing as little as he was for as long as he was. And and I would love to know the alternate timeline, the alternate alternate universe where he gets booked in Dragon Gate at the start of Dragon Gate USA to see what that relationship would have looked like. But as we talked about when we did the Rewind and Rewatch series for DGUSA, Gabe told him that Gabe didn't think he was talented enough to work in Japan. Dragon Gate wasn't interested, and that severed their relationship. But I don't know. I, I watched that era of 2JP, and I watched that era of Dragon Gate, and I thought there was a natural fit there. But... You know, he, he's great in New Japan. I think he's even better in CMLL. And real quick, before I let you finish your point, there there were years past where I made a point to watch every Rocky Romero match that made tape. You will not find a bigger Forever Hooligans fan than myself, a huge Rapungi Vice fan as well. I think Rocky is a hidden gem. And late era Rocky, you know, post Rottweilers, let's say, has always been a guy that I've really enjoyed. I did not think he had high-end match-of-the-year type stuff left in the tank, but CMLL 2023 has changed my mind, so good on him. Yeah, uh, the, that I, I, I was kind of coming to the end of my point. It's just like the idea that when you bring it to Yuzushi Kondo was the last one to talk about. It was more that doing tag team work, something he really has not done at least since his return in 2006. You know, so it's it, it, it's a way of like reinventing the wheel that I find really kind of fascinating. And it's something that, yeah, uh, as we kind of shift into like Dragon Gate mode, it, it, it is something where this week on the program, it's one of those times that I think we could sum up this last week in Dragon Gate in one way that Dragon Gate is looking straight ahead to September 7th, Cork and Hall. And they are not, they have the blinders on, nothing else. They're, they're not going to react to anything else right now. It's just September 7th, September 7th. And that's really what we kind of got this week. Yes, the impending Cork and Hall show, the debut of Takuma Nishikawa in Japan. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Mike and I wanted to start off this show going Dragon Gate adjacent, going to our friends at the Ledette Corporation and talking about Gleets. Yeah, so on the 23rd, there was a joint show with Gleet, uh, with All Japan. It was, it was Gleet version and Gleet cross All Japan Pro Wrestling Life is a Challenge with a lot of uh, various Gleet versus All Japan matchups. But what became more noticeable was what happened after the main event. They did a crossover generations match with... Uh, Kaz Hayashi and T-Hawk representing uh, Gleet, Suwama, Kento Miyahara, and then on the other side, Hayato Tamara, Tetsuya Izuchi, Yuma Anzai, and Atsuki Ayagi. But after the match, right as T-Hawk was about to do the show close promo, uh, the lights went dead, and we got a video from Mexico. And after it said video, we saw the... Uh, Late debuts of SB Kento and Takuma as they entered Cork and Hall with their title belts. Uh, Takuma did a flip, they cut a promo, and at least on their upcoming, I, I believe it's also going to be in Cork and Hall that match, right? Yes, yeah, it is. Yeah, and they they announced that it will be El Lindemann and Hayato Tamura who are the two who kind of stepped up to them, other than T Hawk. T Hawk, who just looked like he. He's looked like he's wanted to punch someone in the face for like the last 12 months, I feel like. And it's 
actually pretty great. But so it's going to be Hayato Tamora and El Lindemann teaming up against Kento and Takuma in their Gleet debut. I have a lot of thoughts on this. I have thoughts from somebody within Dragon Gate who I talked to about this earlier this week. I'll share those in a second to sort of know where the company stands to some degree. I watched this entire show, so I have thoughts on not only the invasion, but Gleet as a whole. But I'll kick it to you first. Takuma, Espy Kento, in Gleet, your first impressions. What did you make of it? It was uh, trying to be pretty measured. Uh so, uh, like, I saw the announcement, and I was going to watch the show to begin with, and I kind of staggered my watching of it. And getting to the uh, Mexa Happy Locos, it, it's something where, like, the debut, in a lot of ways, beat for beat, cribbed the Millennials uh, video from Mexico announcing their debut, and then coming out. It was something where there was a reaction, but it was not the kind of reaction that I think they were hoping for out of uh the audience like like there was a response like that's un that's undeniable but for like this kind of invader like what would be seen somewhat as a jump in some quarters it's a it, it was kind of subdued i thought and i just kind of at a certain point with it just like personally i was just like oh really okay and the and uh We'll we'll see how it goes long term. I guess is is what I'll say about that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, I, at least like personally, like watching it, 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 I had like a feeling, not necessarily of like depression or sadness, just like ill ease watching this. I was like, I just don't know long term about this. I groaned. I it right, was yeah. It you know it was one of those deals. And, and look. You and I are hard on Gleet, but I think we are incredibly fair. And I think we're going to be incredibly hard on them right now. And I think we're going to be fair. And if at any point uh, when, when anybody's listening and they think we're not being fair, open the Voice Gate channel on the Voice of Wrestling Discord because I, I, I really am not doing anything that I do, or not saying anything rather that I think is out of line when it comes to this promotion. I groaned when I saw that they were there because the Ashita jump last year felt hot and the first show with Ashita felt pretty special you want to go back on the timeline sakamoto showing up in gleet okay he was a freelance dragon gate guy certainly never repped the promotion to any degree other than it being his primary place of business but you know if i was if i was running a promotion i would want cosmo sakamoto on my roster that was a good get you know that felt like all right you know they they got they got one even going back to the beginning of the promotion when strong hearts first showed up by the point that Gleet had come to exist, it felt like the hotness of Stronghearts in Japan was on the down low and that they had lost some of the momentum that they had from Russell 1 and DDT. But it was like, all right, well, you know, it's a Shima promotion in Japan. We'll see what they can do. It's just the dominoes continue to fall of extra angate guy, extra angate guy, extra angate guy. And Kento and Takuma showed up. And it was like, oh, my God, we're doing this again. And that's not even to mention Yoshino, who we'll get into in a minute. I've got a note on Yoshino here. But I don't know how two guys that are under the age of 25 seemingly overnight now look 35 years old and like a hard 35. But that Takuma. was my first takeaway was Takuma. Wow. Why do, why do these guys look so bad? And that that's not to sound petty again. I, you know, I don't care ultimately. And I'll reemphasize this. I think a few different times. 
I want Gleet to be good, and I want what's best for every wrestler uh, today, especially in Japan when there's very little money in Japan. I want these guys to succeed. Why do they look so old all of a sudden? Yeah, Takumo is the one that I, 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 I guess like for me, like you, you bring up like that. This has been like a constant refrain that it would be disaffected former Dragon Gate wrestlers for various reasons leaving the promotion end up here and at a certain point it is i i would wonder with the way that they've drawn and uh the the the, the bloom is deadly off the rose with strong hearts like the, it was off the rose before clay it happened and it is something that good for them you know as you're saying like everyone getting as much work as possible but at a certain point it this was like one of the first times in their career where i felt like uh kento kabune and takuma uh fujiwara did not feel like stars like that I, was I, like i would concur with that i i think that's completely right because you know you look at their entrance and takuma basically did the charlotte flair he just did a, a, a cartwheel back handspring for the sake of doing one during his entrance. I remember when Charlotte first went to NXT, she would do the cartwheel before she got in the ring. I don't know, maybe she still does. And I haven't watched a Charlotte match in many, many years. But it's like, okay, well, he's athletic. I'll give him that. And then Kento came out, and you got a very brief, very subdued SB Kento chant, and then nothing. I mean, I don't know a, a person that enjoyed that segment. I thought it died a complete and utter death. And that is through me watching the promo a few different times, trying to look for various things, getting a translation of the promo and, you know, having a general understanding of what's going on. Not a good segment. It, it was really, I mean, I look, I said when SB Kento debuted his first match, I said, well, this guy's a superstar. You know, he had that charisma that made me pay attention to him no matter what he was doing. Takuma, it took a few matches, but he got there because he was so exciting. The charisma was zapped from them here. I mean, this felt like, and I'll steal a phrase from somebody I talked to earlier this week, it felt like Wish.com Stronghearts. They did the whole thing where we're leaving Japan, we're going to Mexico, this is our new life, and then they go back to Japan. And the, the second time around, it's just not as exciting. It, it, it is not the same as it once was. Yeah, and I think the fact that, like, trying to think of how I'm going to phrase this, it, keeping with how we've phrased things about the situation before, I am personally happy that Kento and Takuma are able to find work, like, of course, like that. And that this being the option, I think that it's not going to pay off for them long term. Or, like, if you're looking, at least from, like, my... My, my perspective for like long-term stability for them i don't know this is the play and if there is a I, I i have yet to talk to people around the promotion explicitly about this but if there was a path back for kento and takuma i don't think that path exists at that moment right now like it's a i it, it, it's something where like that I guess I had an idea in my head, maybe case, and I could be completely off, off base about this, that maybe a couple of years, like they go, they, they get the opportunity to explore, do Lucha, go travel, work the world. And then after a couple of years, there might've been a door back open for that. I just, at least for me, like selfishly, I would have rather seen that versus this where I could just, 
in my mind, think about what the next five years look for them. And I don't know if it's the right choice. I, I, I cannot sit here and say like, well, they made the best like long-term choice for them. I don't think that's true. Mike, what you're expressing is not headcanon. Jay on this very podcast in July said the same thing that for a variety of reasons, they had to let him go. You know, this was not a situation where Drangate could keep them employed after the situation that occurred, most of which has been reported, some of which hasn't. They had to let them go, but it was, you know, it was a breakup, but it was a soft breakup. It felt different than Ishida. It felt different than Sakamoto. It obviously felt different than Stronghearts, where, you know, you're no longer together. You're seeing other people, but it's not like the number was deleted from the phone. You know, if you need to get in contact, the person was going to be there on the other on the other end of the line. I can speak to this from the reporting that I did when we were first tipped off to Kento and Takuma leaving the promotion back in May. And we had this before anybody. We were not the first to report it uh, because of a, a variety of logistical reasons, but we knew about this going back to May. I was told from the jump by multiple people, their play is Mexico. They want to live there. They want to wrestle there. They want to do their thing there. They live in Mexico City, and I think that is worth noting as well. They showed up in Gleet and then got on a plane and went back to Mexico. These are still Mexican-based wrestlers that are doing a quote-unquote invasion angle. The difference, the wrinkle in what has transpired from what I heard initially to what has taken place now, and this is pure speculation, is that Ledette opened up the checkbook. You know, the way that Jay spoke about them in July and then the way that I talked to somebody in the promotion this week, the the tone is very different. I think this caught them off guard. Uh, Drangate, that is. I think they were very put off by this. And I think a door that was slightly ajar down the line is a door that has been slammed shut completely. I don't know what happens of Gleet a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. But I think this is a play that has very poor long-term ramifications because as long as Gleek continues to exist, you know, I don't look at them as a major player. They'll bring back Yoshino and draw, I don't know, 1,400 fans, and then they've got to do it again the next month. And they've got to find another person to bring in and another person to bring in and another person to bring in. We'll talk about one of their homegrown stars who I think is a burgeoning superstar who they clearly see no value in. The long-term game for this promotion is that they're an all-star game, that they're bringing in whoever they can bring in as a free agent. Maybe they reunite Speed Muscle, and they draw 2,000 fans to Tokyo Dome City Hall. And then the next month, what are they doing? It is a promotion continuously where I am left going, what are they doing? And Kento and Takuma now are just two more confusing chess pieces to add to this very confusing game. Yeah, and it's something where you talk about like the checkbooks and you you still have to like look at this promotion as a way that it's just almost like content creation because there's just like other than like merch sales which i mean i there's no way to like really know numbers but you could usually see merch in the crowd do you see much uh uh glate merch in the crowd ever at when you're watching one of these shows I, I don't I don't look for it, but I it doesn't sound like something that I see a lot of. So it's like they're not drawing like as you like laid out perfectly. So, I mean, there's no continuity. There's no building storylines. Like, I guess somehow T-Hawk will defend the belt against someone else and it will draw 700 people. 
Like that's probably what it will do because there's no continuity there. And all it does, I feel like at least for, uh, for Kento and Takuma, it just lets them work in Japan when they probably were not able to. And is that going to be worth it for them down the line? That's why I wonder really. So can I throw some things at you that somebody from Drangate talked to me about earlier this week? Please do. So they mentioned three different points. I'll go through them one by one. I'll get your thoughts on each of them. One, and this is something I obviously cannot confirm or deny because I do not speak Japanese, but this person does. They work for Drangate. Masato Yoshino on commentary was selling that he has never seen Kento and Takuma wrestle before. Despite the fact that he wrestled SB Kento multiple times before he retired. Your thoughts on that? That's it, it was something that like I did like play the mental math in my head for all these. And, and, and basically the conclusion I came to is that it's just unlikely that like strong hearts would have had any sort of interaction other than, you know, just, just throughout the community. But Yoshino saying that just was one of those things that I, for for who for what we assume the majority of the fans are in this promotion, and we can kind of tell what they are because we've seen what does not draw when they try to in this promotion. It's yeah, you're you're lying to your viewers, and because they're more likely than not were either disaffected Dragon System fans or people that were wanting to still support T Hawk and Linda or whatever you want to put it, and they would absolutely know that. SB Kento debuted in 2019. Yeah, debuted in 2019, was in the RED versus Toriyama Generation Unit Disbands match, which Yoshino was in as well. They wrestled at Gate of Destiny 2020. Whole lot of interaction between those two there. So, uh, you know, the, the way this person described it to me was, uh, quote, absolutely pathetic that Yoshino was trying to do that. Another point this person made, the big building in Nagoya, the Nagoya Congress Center that Drangit uh, draws uh, very well in, famously, SB Kento in UT outdrew a big Noah show in that building during the pandemic. We talked about this a few weeks ago. That building is closing for renovations next year. So if Kento and Takuma become, let's say, full-time roster members in Gleed, and this is a promotion that does not run very many shows to begin with, but let's say they become full-time roster members they have no chance of maximizing Kento's popularity in his hometown. They run a very small building in Nagoya. Last time they were in there, they did 295 fans. For reference, even during points of the pandemic, Drangit was coming close to 1,000 fans at the Nagoya Congress Center, uh, and that is at the peak of seating restrictions, etc. So if you make the argument of like, hey, you know, Kento can expand business. He has a ton of sponsors in Nagoya. Wouldn't this be a great thing for our promotion to be able to have a ton of sponsors in Nagoya? Well, they've shot themselves in the foot because the big building will be unavailable, uh, you know, by the next time Gleek can run it, basically. So a couple points here. If you are someone that just does not really follow Dragon System, you like listen to the show, because I know there, there there is a portion of listenership that way. If you want to have like a frame of context, I am right now looking at the Ledette schedule through the end of November, and they're essentially running once a week. They're doing about, uh, they have four shows in September. They have one show and only one show in September, actually. And then they have four shows in November. They don't run very often. As Kay said, Diamond it, Hall is- it, How many, is it four shows in September, one in October? 
One in October. Yeah. One, okay. All right. So if you're trying to use this as a way to bring people into shows, that's going to be difficult because you only run, they're only running Nagoya once over this time period, the diamond hall, they're running it on the 24th of September. Secondarily, one big thing I think is special about, uh, Glade is the fact that case, what do they not have on their mats or anywhere else in the building? When you watch a Glade show that every other promotion Japan has, I'm assuming that would be sponsors. Yeah, I wonder sponsors exactly. I wonder if it's going to be something that like it was kind of like a running joke. How many various stickers and sponsor patches SBK had on his jacket and Nagoya? I wonder if there's like some sort of thing where like you're not necessarily like they're they're not advertising for like that. So it's not even like a best utility case if that's true. I don't know. I'm just reading and assuming, and it's something that like. Even with this, like they are not flying, the, the, so there would be at best working eleven shows, and the, you brought up the fact that they aren't full time, that they aren't likely to do this. So each time they're going to try to book them for like that Nagoya building that they draw two hundred and fifty, and they're going to play, pay for a plane flight for the two of them, so two plane flights. And last time I checked, the yen is running at one hundred and forty-seven to a dollar. It usually is right around about a yen a cent, so not a, it's a very expensive way to try to build that what to try to build your Nagoya market. If that's their method. Yeah, that, you know, something I I've really never thought about until now. Gleed has never run Kobe before. They have no footprint in Kobe, despite all of the years of, I guess they were more Okamura sponsor than than Shima sponsors, but. You know, Kobe Sambo Hall was so packed for so many years because of the businessmen that would attend those shows that had ties and, and money tied into the promotion. And even in Osaka, you know, they had the big house at the start of the year in Osaka number two for Ishida versus Lindemann. They had 500 people there, which at the time, that was the most people you could put in that building. That was the very end of any sort of uh, seating restrictions there. But other than that, they run a really small building in Osaka and that's Shima's hometown. I mean, that is his market. And they really don't seem to make any inroads there either. And I don't know enough about the nuances of sponsorships as it relates to Japanese wrestling to have any comments on that other than just the observation that the two markets that you would think a Dragon Gate offshoot would be able to dominate Kobe and Osaka, they have very little if no inroads there. Yeah, so they they do run Osaka pretty like they 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 don't run Edeon very much. They run Stella all the yes, time. Yes, the, the 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 tiny one there. I mean, that's like three hundred fans. Right. So you have that. Looking at their schedule, they have that one Nagoya. They they're going up to Sapporo to the soccer arena for one show. That's the crazy thing. I mean, and look, this is the difference between a, a corporate back promotion and an indie like Dragon Gate. To make that financially worthwhile for Drangit, and they only do it because they have stars in BB Hulk and KZ who are from Hokkaido, they have to run the triple shot there. Gleet is a one-and-done shot, you know, 245 fans. All right, let's pack up the truck and go back, which just seems crazy to me. Right, and the other side about it with Dragon Gate is that they do the fan trips up to Sapporo, which is another way for them to be able to pull that off because you have people that are going to show up for those shows and they're going to be paying for whatever the rate you're going to tack on on top of like their transit, you know? So like, that's the other way of doing that. Like 
there is like no like thing with that with Ledette. It's it, and it's one of those things that like I look at like I only took notes for the uh, uh, the uh, Lindemann versus Rising Hayato in the main event. I did kind of skip around. I'm not watching that G Affinity match case. I've been through this. Oh, road I, enough. I, I did. I did. It, you know, it, it's uh, uh, buddy. That was 14 minutes. You could have like I don't know, taken a nap. If I don't 14 know. Minutes of sleep. I, I don't know which of the Saito brother is which. I know there's one Saito brother that looks like absolute shit, and then there's one that I think is like fine. But uh, that match felt like 14 minutes. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, but it, it, it's something where, like, we, we've now seen this where, like, they essentially partner with these promotions to kind of fill up their back half of these shows. And at the end of the day, it, Hayato was more over than Lindemann during that match case. I think that's kind of fair to say. Uh, yes, but my belief from some people that I've talked to is that Hayato Tamora is the one guy there that has some sort oh. of momentum. Oh, I was talking about Rising Hayato. Oh, I was, that I, yeah, that's right. Uh, Lindemann was in the, the junior title match. I was thinking uh, T-Hawk for a second. Uh, yes, Hayato was more over than Lindemann was. And then in the main event, uh, the, this was like that mixed one that did have uh, Hayato Tamura in it, who was the most over guy on the Gleet side. But, if, but he was probably fourth or fifth m- most over because you had Kento Miyahara, Suwama, and Itsuki Aoyagi who were more over than them so you're bringing these people into these promotions and they're having all right matches but you're kind of like taking a step back and you're wondering what purpose does this serve okay so that that, that's sort of where i want to go with this because i still have a lot of thoughts on kento and takuma that i want to get to but i watched this entire show and anybody that's listened to this podcast knows that i have a lot of thoughts on gleet meaning that you know i really like jun tancho and i really like uh soma watanabe and i think they have something in chekshimatani even though they don't seem to think so and then I watched this main event, this All Japan Gleet collab show that I'm baff- that I'm baffled by to begin with. It's an A-man tag match that I-, I went notebook on. I went four and a quarter on this match. I thought it was very good. But to me, the absolute best part of this match without question was the interactions between Kento Miyahara and Tetsuya Izuki. And, and there is no point in our lifetime I will be happy to to uh, steal a, steal a, uh, a bet a wager from Rob McCarron of Shake Them Ropes many many years ago. If Tetsuya Izuki ever beats Kento Miyahara clean, I will eat a hat on this show. There is no chance that is ever happening. So you just have a relationship that I guess bolsters T Hawk's credit to some degree. Maybe Hayato Tomura, if you're being incredibly generous. And then you just have all these other guys that exist there. And when I think about the future of Kenta, uh, of Kento and Takuma in this promotion, it is a, a continuous just question mark of what are these guys going to do? I put together a list of what I think the relevant Kento and Takuma matches would be. Would you like to hear them and add any that I could possibly miss? Okay, go ahead. So they are doing, uh, you know, Kento and Takuma versus Tamora and Lindemann on October 9th. After that, I think the relevant matches you could do would be those two versus T-Hawk and Lindemann, those two in Ashida versus Shima, T-Hawk, and Lindemann, those two Ashida, Kazumasaka, and Kazumasakamoto versus some combination of Stronghearts, Shima, T-Hawk, Lindemann, and if you want to put o- uh, o- Onitsuka in there, if you want to put Irie in there, whoever it is, eight-man tag match. I would throw 
those two versus Galino Del Mall and Quiet Storm into the conversation just for the sake of doing something with Galino Del Mall, I would throw those two versus either Voodoo Murderers or Hartley and Katar Suzuki, whoever is the tag team champion at the time. Let's let, let's give them a tag team championship match. And then I'm I'm out of ideas because Soma Watanabe doesn't matter, and Tetsuya Izuki doesn't matter, and Chekshimatani doesn't matter. So once you get through what is essentially a joyride, six months of dream matches, I just don't see a scenario in which they will have any more tread in this promotion. And that's not me picking on on Gleet. That's not me picking on Kento and Takuma. Where's it at? For two years, they continue to do 700 fans in Corican. And the only time it differed was Ashita's debut, which was headlined by Jun Kasai. And Ashita's debut felt hot, and Jun Kasai always draws in Corican. They did just over a 1,000 fans there, and they have done nothing before or after that has ever proven to me that this is any sort of viable wrestling entity without extreme cross-promotion assistance. Yeah, it, it it's something where... After you get through those matches, I would be interested in seeing just for my own edification. I I kind of want to see Kento versus Minoru Tanaka. That the, 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 I, I, something... knew were, I knew you were going to say that. I am. I am. I no disrespect. <laughs> uh, you know, no, no disrespect to Alan Forel. I you know I love you, but I am I am over Minoru Tanaka. I don't like him. And he's so funny and great. He's I, so funny. I, I don't even like prime Minoru Tanaka as much as basically all of my wrestling friends. I am good on old man Minoru Tanaka. I am, I am not getting fooled by his name being on the match card anymore. I, it is not something that I'm buying into. It's a three-star special. No, thank you. So here's why I, I like Minoru Tanaka, other than like his early 2000s New Japan Junior run and everything around that. I It, it was something that like you had these two kids come out here who look awful. And they're, they're like cutting like this trash talk promo, and you see in the background Minoru Tanaka with like a hat on backwards, just like you could look in his eyes case, and there was one look in his eyes. You know what that was? What was that? I could, I could take both of these kids at the same time. <laughs> I, I, I do believe that. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so while this match is happening, Minoru Tanaka versus SB Kento, it, it could be Ledet UWF rules. I'm not complaining about this. I just think it'll be fun. I think you, we need to have Kaz Hayashi versus Takuma. I really do. And I'm being sincere about this. I think that Kaz Hayashi and Takuma, there's a lot of interesting wrinkles you could have there. Like, I don't think Kaz Hayashi is completely washed, but I think there's something there. I would pee my pants from laughter if they put either of these guys in Gleet MMA. Oh, I would, God. I would be, I would be, I'd be inconsolable. I would be so annoying. I would not be able to stop. Oh, I hope that happens now. I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but if they're going to, let's have it be in Gleet MMA. Oh my God, that'd be so funny. Uh, Hideki Shex Sakin versus SB Kento. Five five rounds. There we go. It's, it's like one of those weird pride fights where it's like <laughs> it's like Kevin Randleman. And it's like, wait, how did the other guy get here? Is he trained at all? Is he qualified to do this? <laughs> and it's like, no, this is a former sumo wrestler that stayed in Japan. They needed the money. So it, it, it's just something where when you like like to kind of like in, in a way like summarizing my thoughts on SVK and Takuma to Glade. Uh I ultimately 
feel like that there is a part of this where no matter what, I want their best conclusion, most fulfilling conclusion and whatnot. I just cannot see how that path is walked through this promotion. So let me let me put a bow on it by this. I'm going to go back to the, the guy that I talked to from Drangate this week. And keep in mind, 1,025 fans is the cork and record. And we'll obviously have all eyes on that as Kento and Takuma come into the promotion next month. But as I was talking with a member of, of Drangate this past week, you know, they, they mentioned this to me. And this is where I think we're extremely fair about where we stand on Gleet. And and unknowingly, I think this person, you know, kind of helped us make a, make a point that balances things out, that makes things really fair. Where they said, and I'll read this mostly verbatim here. They said, Shima and those guys were here during peak years and could reasonably attract away fans. Ashida considerably less, but his debut did get a reaction. These were pandemic era guys when popularity was at its lowest. Any DG fan that stuck around during that time isn't going to be pulled away by this. On the contrary, it is repulsive. Gleed fans are also tired of getting used DG goods when it's DG goods when it is the non-XDG guys that are popular there. And then they end with a, a point that I think is interesting. I think we can sort of segue into this. They say that being said, them being totally unrecognizable is at least a minor indictment on DG popularity and awareness. Your thoughts on that quote? Yeah, because I, I actually want to tie this into a thought I had about that eight man. I came away from the eight man thinking that they really went to T Hawk and, and Hayato tomorrow way too early. Like that now, it was something where I'm just like, damn, like you really could have had like an interesting program where T Hawk now is just being this petulant. Uh, finally getting the throne after all these years. And it, and, and like that's kind of how he's portraying himself as, that he's kind of over this now that he's finally champion. He's like this. And you could finally have Hayao Tamora, who, like, I, I, I know Case, like, like when you've, like, talked with people, he's always brought up as, like, the most popular non-GG guy there. I think that, like, they completely shot themselves in the foot now, watching them in that eight-man tag. But it, it, it is something where, like, in a way this is a referendum on the dragon system. And it's one that I think also shows a reality on the Japanese wrestling industry. When you get outside of your conglomerate promotions, that it is going to be something where it seems like that, although there are all these crossovers, you know, it's usually from one company to everyone else. It's not like when, when you see cross pollination going between other promotions right now, that that's being seen as any sort of like balm for the industry so it's something where i'm just like i i, I just kind of come away just like just sighing at this yeah it's 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 like a gnat you know it's like a bug that you just want to swat away this entire thing and i want to i want to make it clear what you just said there very well said and we've been on this since the start of the pandemic i don't think there's a podcast that has covered the sad state of affairs that is the Japanese wrestling industry better than we have because I think we're very realistic about it I think we're very fair about it and although we come across harsh on Gleed I think we are incredibly fair about this promotion in terms of Kento and Takuma showing up it's just it's just annoying it's so disappointing you know what I mean it's like I was thinking about them in the context and I you know not that it matters but I won't say the band but there's a band 
that's like in the punk scene right now. And I just go, do you guys have no good role models? Do you guys have no one smart advising you? Why is every decision you make the opposite of the decision I would make? Why are you on this tour? Why are you with that label? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? It's like the more exposure this band gets, the least, the, the less popular they get. In Kento and Takuma, it's just another one of those things where it's like, God, what a bummer. Like, they're going to just work, at, you know, Mr. Iguana and Nino Ambergesa on every small AAA show until the end of time. And then they're going to pivot to this, you know, and, and then, you know, what's next? Is it Ganbari Pro? Is that is that where they're going to set up shop after the Ledette money runs out? It's just, it's such a bummer that they're playing their cards the way they are. Because, you know, yeah, I, again, I, that's I, I, the way I, putting look, it. I, you know, like I said at the at the top of the segment, it was a soft breakup. It was a breakup, no doubt, but a soft breakup when Dragon Gate let them go, and they are hot over this. You know, the other thing that I'll mention here, and this is where if anybody has any intel on this, it would be greatly appreciated because the person that I spoke to from Dragon Gate highlighted the fact that at some point in the presentation of Kento and Takuma, the line note lo uh, paradas was used. I cannot hear them say it. I cannot find it in writing. I do not know what it is, but I do know that this person from Drangate was hot about it because that is what Takuma Nishikawa, who we'll talk about in just a second, what Nishikawa has been selling as his sort of catchphrase as he comes back from Japan. So not only is it a jump to a rival promotion, which as Jay said on this podcast in July, Gleet partially exists in an effort to put Drangate out of business. But now as Drangate brings their prize people from Mexico back, Kento and Takuma are in that promotion, allegedly stealing his catchphrase. I cannot find any use of it in writing nor in the promo, but this person that I talked to specifically mentioned that and they were hot about it. So, Case, do you know what Notelo Pierdas means? It's like you, you like don't miss it or something, right? Yeah, it's a very common phrase. Yeah, <laughs> it's, and, th- that, uh, and that's what this person said. They go, my Spanish is not strong enough to know if they were using it uh, intentionally or if it was just a phrase. But ultimately, Kento and Takuma would be aware that this is what Nishikawa was using, and they're not going to give them the benefit of the doubt. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're you you know what I mean? Like you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, ah, hey, look at some random cards, or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards. It sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing, you know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. 
you get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slap pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all three-in-one offering you triple security so you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door but it's not just for security the eufy video lock is also for convenience no more concerns about losing keys and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras some other great features we love about the eufy video lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a phillips screwdriver no drilling required Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking. Again, 0.3 seconds, it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock. And with the AI self-learning chip embedded, the more you use it, the more accurate it will be. Also, no battery anxiety. You have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months. And you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2K Clear Sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service. Yuffie's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7, so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Yuffie video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or, wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the UV video lock. 
I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second. Door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with Eufy Video Lock, search Eufy Video Lock. That is E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Again, that's Eufy Video Lock. E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Yeah, which from their position, I can see them coming at it like that. I guess like my takeaway, at least about that one line is that like if you just search the phrase on Google, you'll see like countless advertising. It's a common phrase. But if it's something where like that it is so pointed for Nishikawa, I I definitely see how the Dragon Gate side would be a little hot about that. So, uh, and, and if anybody knows where it was used, please point it out to me. I watched that promo so many times trying to find it. I watched the VTR. I didn't see it mentioned there. If anybody has, whether they said it in Japanese or in Spanish, I do not know. But if somebody can point that out to me, let me know. Because this person was very hot over it, and I do not see it existing anywhere. Yeah, uh, I, I tried to keep an ear out, and I didn't notice it. Well, you brought up Takuma Nishikawa, and... Uh, as we've been talking about, essentially, since this guy came in our radar and was sent to Mexico, he's a big deal. And no better evidence of that is than the card for the Stormgate in Tokyo show, September 7th. Uh, it, the main event of the show is not Binkei versus Big Boss Shimizu and Shimizu's uh, war against the Reiwa Generation leaders. The main event for Corkin on September 7th is... Madoka Kakuda, Yuki Yoshioka, Dragon Daya of D Courage versus Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Takuma Nishikawa. Takuma Nishikawa's Japan debut match is debut is headlining Cork and Hall on September 9th. So this feels massive. This feels like a huge deal, right? Yep. Yep. This is and with how everything was, I would have been stunned if it was going to be at worst if this was below semi main event i would have been stunned but then him being main eventing when i mean the, the, there's only one off the top of my head debut case that i know that dragon gate has had in the main event which was that i i mean i'm thinking my head immediately goes to milano versus rio saito that's sort of where i went but that was the t2p landing show that doesn't count what are you thinking of oh mochizuki jr that was the main ah, event of that show. Ah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you are right. The famed Torimon Reunion Volume 2 show that I still would like an oral history about someday. <laughs> I just want an oral history of the corking discussions. Was Daike somehow involved in that? Like, that's a wrinkle that we need to know in this oral history. He has to be involved now. Let, let's pause for just a second and just remind people. June 2022, COVID still very much a thing in Japan. Torimon Reunion Show... Ultimo Dragon comes out and cuts a promo and says, I've been wrestling in Mexico and they cheer there. You can cheer on this show because it's a Torimon show. The Japanese police are contacted and they say, no, you cannot. And in fact, we might kick you out of Corrigan Hall as a result. And then Mochizuki, we find out in the span of an hour that Masaki Mochizuki has a son, that Masaki Mochizuki's son is debuting on this show. And then after the main event, He's like, my name is Ryoto Mochizuki. And Ultimo Dragon goes, no, it's not. It's Mochizuki Jr. And it's stuck. <laughs> it's, everybody was talking about Nozawa last year, and they were all idiots for it. We should have all been talking about how insane the Torimon show was. 
Yeah, I know, man. I feel like that it's one of those things that just never ends. I mean, and he did because of Dory Funk Jr. Like, that was the reason. <laughs> it wasn't like those Karis Jr. It wasn't like uh, Gil Del, Del Santo. It was because of Dory. What? Hey, and, and this is why, like, n- not to go AEW here, but they need to fill out a show on Sunday. Book Ultimo. I don't think he's working on Sunday. No, he's not working on Sunday. Book Ultimo. Look, I'd be in favor of it. I, I, I would like to see Jericho versus Ultima one more time. Hey, yeah. And we know he'll pay for uh, Separados with that. But Oh, that's a it, good point. Oh, my God. Tony going into the budget for Separados. <laughs> Luis Miguel is going to make his dollar. But it, 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 getting back to Nishikawa, he was he is someone that, like, just entering the promotion, he's entering older than the traditional Dragon Gate rookie, as we've seen during the future project. He's... I believe now 26 and he joined the promotion as an adult. And it is something where from pretty much from the beginning, like the fact that they sent them to Tori Moncasa, you could roll the footage back to when they announced it. They did that for a reason. It, the reason is going to happen at Cork. And, and I'm looking up and down this card case and I just, it, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of screaming out to me about this Cork and Hall show. That well, I'm, let's, I, I'm, let's 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 stick on Nishikawa for just a second because, you know, historically this is this is one of those deals. There's there's very few comps for you know you can point to Mochizuki Junior. I think you can look at you know just for an idea of the sort of hype and fervor that you should expect. I think you can look at Shingo's debut, which was October eighth or I'm sorry October third two thousand four. And that was Shingo in the semi-main event of a show at Hakata Star Lanes. It was Shima, Shingo, and Taru versus Shuji Kondo, Takuya Sugawara, and Brother Yashi in the Rey de Parejas uh, tournament match to crown what would have been the Triangle Gate champions at the time. Uh, so Shingo debuted in the semi-main event and was immediately a guy. I think you can look at the similarities to Nishikawa and UT, who debuted a decade ago, August 30th. You know, it'll be 10 years uh, by the time most people hear this. August 30th, 2013, UT does a reverse landing, you know, debuted in Mexico and then comes back and debuts in Japan. That was match five on a Kobe Sambo Hall show. And I think we would all agree just from the size and the hype around Nishikawa that he has a higher ceiling than UT ever has. And then I also think you have to look at Strong Machine J's debut from 2019. That was match three on a Corkin show. He won. He looked great. That's still one of my favorite debut matches in wrestling history. And the common thread with all of those guys, Shingo, UT, Strong Machine J, you want to throw Mochizuki Jr. in the mix too, I'd be more than happy to. It wasn't debut and then go back, uh, you know, back to match zero, match one, match two, work your way back up the card. These were guys that were established rather immediately now they all had an ebb in the ebb and flow they all went down at some point shingo to america ut battling injuries strong machine j battling injuries but i think if drangate would have had it their way they would have it would have been a straight line of success all the way through and they are once again putting nishikawa in that position i told everybody last year everybody listening to this podcast knows i said don't forget about takuma nishikawa this guy is going to be a big deal I did not think he was going to be this big of a deal upon his debut. I was shocked, shocked when I saw this match announcement. Yeah, and I'm glad. I, I was happy shocked because with how things were kind of shaping up around this, like it's something coming out of Dangerous Gate and the shows since then 
that really felt like that we were that that things were either I don't want to say spinning wheels because it's not like that there's stuff that's happened on these shows but it was something where you're just kind of waiting looking ahead and it was something that with the with the scheduling it just was like naturally you're like okay they don't really have a full loop right after this uh tokyo oda city gymnasium show so where are we going to look towards okay we have the seventh and if it wasn't going to be Binkei versus Big Boss Shimizu main eventing, which is what my expectation was, honestly, with how the yes, storyline yeah, is, too. this and when you look at how the, uh, the there's been no real direction for any of the title belts, save we will talk about the Triangle Gate in a little bit. We had had something that was kind of going to happen. Of course, still, uh, Luis Mesa Diamante has not returned. Now we have this. And it's something where I cards on the table case. I, I, I kind of am coming into this show next week. Ex- not expecting, but w- when you've had the promotion be in kind of this situation where we're kind of discovering this new normal schedule, we've encountered a lull here and Takuma Nishikawa returning or debuting into the main event does what you can do to fill that lull until the big triggers are being pulled. And it, for that reason, it makes sense to me that this is main eventing. Do you think Nishikawa is bringing the artist formerly known as Diamante with him? Funny you should mention that case. I Coming out of like this week, I really think that we might be seeing a, a shakeup. I think that I'm looking at this Corican card and there's one match outside of the main event that I have my eyes like daggers on wondering where they're going to go with that I think might tip the hand on it. If we're if we're entering shuffle season or if this is just going to be a something where Nishikawa comes in, he's kind of a uh, unaffiliated until down the line. Whenever the shuffle happens, he does join a unit. I I, I, I'm looking at this a match four case with a lot of interest. Well, let's let's have this conversation. You know, I kind of had this in the back of my mind as something I wanted to wanted to ask you about because there seems to be a growing talking point that Zebrats is either not a good heel unit or Zebrats needs to get broken up. They've lost their mojo. They've lost their momentum. They've lost this. They've lost that. I remain in an uncomfortable position where I think every unit right now serves a purpose, and yet I think every unit could be improved upon. But both historically and the moment, I think very, very highly of Zebrats as a unit. Where are you at, and where is your mind going in relation to match four? So where am I on in Zebrats? Zebrats is past 18 months, and that's usually when I expect to see some sort of change with a heel unit. I think it's... Do I think Zebrats is going to disband or change into the next heel unit? Not sold on that yet. Do I think that there's going to be a massive shakeup within that unit? Yes. And primarily that is a point I've been bringing up ever since they were inaugurated last February. At its peak, it was a six-member unit. You can't do a whole lot with a six-person heel unit. You can do even less when you have, over time, lost SB Kento. Uh, you you have had Diamante, who is now uh, who were waiting on his return, but he's not going to return as member of Zebrats. 
and Shun's in America, you only have three people in the heal unit, and that just makes it very hard to have this heal unit around, especially when you have Kai, Hyo, and Ishin. Two guys there that are probably ready for a face turn, and then Ishin, who is in like his big, this is my first real singles run here, and I don't think how you could look at Zebrats without thinking that something has to change with them with that. Okay. Interesting. So is your is your angle here that Fuda is turning heel? I think that And whatever... for those that don't know, it's 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 Kondo Fuda and Yanagiuchi versus Kai Hyo and Isha. That's the match we're talking about at the September seventh Cork and Hall show. Yes. Coming out of Nara specifically, I had this one note. There was a fun little number, Ryo Fuda versus Jackie Funky Kame here, that if Fuda turns heel, I think Z Bratz is surviving. I think that they're just moving on to that. Not that I think that Fuda is any sort of like main event player, but when if, if you're turning a, a, a young guy heel, especially someone who is now like the uh, the most senior rookie, you, it, 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 you're not going to do away with that unit within the next three months. Like that, that's just not how things operate. So it, it, it's something where he needs that stuff and they, and they're p- paying attention on Ryu Fuda when they have never put attention on Ryu Fuda. Part of that is due to his injury history. Part of that is a clogged roster. And it makes you wonder if it's time for him to get out of that rookie stage. And the most logical move for him is to, is to turn heel and join Zebrats. Can I throw a counter at you? Please do. Fuda pins Ishin. They do a Brave Gate match at Gate of Origin in Fuda's hometown. You know, that would be smart, too. That would that was it's funny yeah. you went there because my instinct was, oh, well, Fuda's is getting a, a roll up win. And then he's doing the Brave Gate match at his homecoming show in October. That's mid-October. The Gate of Origin is this year. They could they could stretch that out for a month and do, you know, a lot. They, honestly, I, future I don't versus remember. Zebrats. You can do future versus Zebrats. Yeah, because I don't remember when exactly Shun comes back. I'm, I'm assuming he's back by November, but I don't know if he's back by mid-October. I forget what his U.S. schedule is, but that's not a bad use of Zebrats is Wrestle Daiki, Wrestle Fuda, Wrestle Nagano, Wrestle Kato, Wrestle Tanaka, maybe mix it up with M3K a little bit because Junior you know, is, is in the mix as well. I would like to see that for a month and a half. I think that'd be a very interesting use of Zebrats. It, it would be better than just house shows of Kai, Hyo, and Ishin versus D-Courage. That I'm not into. But if they go in, in, in Fuda versus Ishin's direction, I'd like to see that. And when you look at the rotation coming up, Case, they have just KBS and uh, Edeon 2 before uh, the end of the month. So, oh, they, they have one more in Kobe. If we're looking at September, September's actually a little quiet for dragon gate for once so good i good that's okay i it's, i don't need a busy september with the with the life i have going on they, they can they can pump the brakes for just a second nice you say that case because because october is going to be a motherfucker in our october is going to be a motherfucker yeah but so it's something where like you could easily like just like doing loop stuff and it's something that would be good for like with the status of the future roster, now everyone is healthy. You're trying to get these guys nominally experienced so that they are able to step up. And that that's what you do in pro wrestling. 
yeah if you like see how they've used future over the last few months they've needed to, to kind of do stuff with these guys for a while now that they're all healthy and have a on a lighter month them versus zebrats and and you can constantly just change out the trio of future kids in support of fuda i think you could easily do that and i think it's a better use of everyone's time than if you say like oh zebrats is going to be in the triangle gate determination match you know because they're not going to win that they're not going to win like zebrats should not be involved in that in worst case scenario you can throw nishikawa in that mix too if you need a quote star whether he is or not they're obviously going to position nishikawa as a star off the bat and you can do some zebrats versus future with Nishikawa in there as well. Yeah, so there's a lot of ways I feel like you could do that, but it, it is something where we take w- Fuda's weekend. So Fuda got a pinfall in Kobe and an opener versus Kato and Tanaka, and then he had a re- really competitive performance against Jackie Funky Kamei the next day in Nara. It really it, it feels like it's something that for someone like Fuda who... I mean, Case, you've been his biggest uh, defender, has just kind of clawed and kept his way on the roster. His time does that they wouldn't be having this guy get these wins unless they're doing something. Like, frankly, this is not one of those things. It's like, oh, so Fuda got a win. That's nice. It, with where this guy's position was on the roster, him getting these wins, it, it kind of was one of the bigger things that happened this weekend in Dragon Gate. Can I throw a stat at you that blew my mind? Please do. So, Fuda on the Kobe show, it was Fuda and Mochizuki versus Daiki and... Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was Fuda and Mochizuki versus Yoshiki Kato and Ryoya Tanaka. And I, one, I like, you know, Tanaka's an interesting rookie, just real quick, because I already derailed my point. I think so often in Dragon Gate, these rookies come in, they have one really splashy performance that we could all kind of point to and go, see, see, that's the potential. Look at what this guy's going to be. Tanaka hasn't had that. He just gets slightly better every match he has, and it's really enjoyable watching him show to show. Yeah, and it's something where with his, like, he was debuted on a clogged roster frankly of the style of wrestling that he wanted to be involved with uh for both good and bad that the 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 kickboxer archetype kind of thinned out in dragon gate over the years so he (laughs) he does feel very uh fresh in a way that 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 adds to it and it's something where he did at least on this nara match he does like this really brutal looking short range knee right before the finish that is just like right after he does his step up pk they they bounces off the ropes and uses it for leverage and i'm like this is someone that like if they let him kind of play in the ring there's a lot of interesting things there because he's doing something with like this pretty standard and to be quite honest like overseeing kind of like style that he's providing his own like little twist on it that i find really interesting and it, it was providing a lot of life on these shows you're absolutely right in the case of fuda there so like i was saying so kobe it's mochi and fuda versus tanaka and kato i did not watch the show live i talked to somebody uh right after the show ended who was watching it live and they're like dude you gotta go watch this opener it's very good i think you'll like the finish and i did like the finish because fuda pinned tanaka he got his first win it was fuda's 99th career match 
The next day, he wrestles Kamea Nara. It was the one match of the Nara show I was really looking forward to. I'm curious to see what this match looks like. And I watch it, and there are spots like the one you mentioned where Fuda looks really good. But my takeaway was like, God, you can just tell, like, this guy's not on the road with the roster every single day. He doesn't have that polish that somebody like a Kamei or a Minorita or a Jason Lee has. I looked it up. That was Fuda's 100th career match. That was Jackie Funky Kame's 101st match this year. Just to show the level of disparity, the difference in the workload these guys have had. Kamei will be four years into his career this December. He wrestles like a 14-year veteran. Fuda will be two years deep into his career this November. He wrestles like a guy that's still trying to find footing two years into his career. The difference being the health and the workload, but the talent is absolutely there with Fuda. Yeah, and it was actually kind of a fun thing to see Kamei play that that role in a way because it was a lot more grounded that that one and it, it was a little bit of surprise there it was the thing at least on Nara that kind of like st- kind of like just like raised my eyebrow on a pretty just normal uh homecoming show yes yeah that was I mean for me that was the highlight of the Nara show there was not not a lot there but a, an exciting re- uh, you know a, a, an exciting weekend for Riafuda. if you've never seen his debut match maybe you started watching Dragon Gate last year and you don't know you know you, you might not be able to pick this guy out of a lineup or you might think well who cares because every time I see him he's in a quick match he loses whatever Gate of Origin 2021 oddly enough the same show that Takuma Fujiwara debuted on Fuda wrestled Mochizuki in a singles match and we all came away from that show not talking about Takuma Fujiwara. We came away from that show talking about the future of Riofuda and how Drangate might have a superstar on their hands. Go back. I, would, I, I don't ever go back and listen to older episodes. We do. I might go back and listen to our Gate of Origin 2021 review just to hear again how hyped we were about Fuda. He got hurt. Fujiwara stole his thunder. Okuda choked him out in Cork and Hall. And he's never been the same since. This was a very positive step, a, a a good step in the right direction for a guy that I am still incredibly bullish on. Yeah, and it instantly makes this uh, before intermission trios uh, match a lot more interesting that we get to see that. Uh, the other big event, other than the new Strong Machine Army debuting for one night in Kobe, was the uh, big... Uh, kind of resolution with the triangle gate belts uh as people followers promotion know minorita has been out injured with a knee injury over the last like week and a half and since the the, the since then it, the the triangle gate's kind of been in a question mark uh during this cork and oh not cork and show sorry this kobe sambo hall show after an intermission uh gold class and naruki doi come out they vacate the the triangle gates and it is announced that minorita has a ruptured acl and will be out for a considerable amount of time it's one of those things that like with acl injuries seeing that they said rupture not a tear maybe that's better but we'll see about this but now the uh, triangle gates have been vacated no indication whatsoever on what the direction will be to decide the next triangle gate champions I'm really curious to see what this does to the day-to-day of the promotion. You know, Minorita debuted in October of 2021. He was not only a mainstay in the promotion last year, but a real bright spot in the promotion. At one point, 
the only positive thing to say about gold class. By the time the calendar turned over to this year, not much uh, of his persona, of his game, of his direction had changed. But I think there was now a universal respect where a lot of last year was, again, focused on, you know, hyping up Takuma Fujiwara and talking about Yoshiki Kato. And Minorito was the unsung hero of 2022 up until the very end of the year, where I think a lot of different taste smokers were like, hold on, we need to give this guy his roses, his gold rose, if you will. And by the start of this year, you know, I think we all are in agreement. This is a very special wrestler, very talented wrestler, very charismatic wrestler. And a guy that you know, just through hard work and persistence, just from being around with all of the changes that have taken place in Dragon Gate over the last few years, Minorita is one of those guys, much like a Jason, much like a Jackie, you know, much like a Yamato, much like a D-Courage. He feels like a day-to-day guy in this promotion. It would be weird to not see Minorita, uh, it, it will be weird, rather, to not see Minorita on some of these shows because more often than not, he is, if not the highlight, one of the highlights. I'm very curious to see right now with Ato working less and less days, Doi still doing the part-time schedule, Shun in America, and now Minorita on the shelf. If things start to feel thin again, you know, you made the point that luckily the future class for the first time in a very long time, they all seem to be healthy. You have young guns that can fill out the bottom of the card again, but with no Shun, a headline star, and with no Minorita, a guy who is firmly entrenched in the mid-card in a very positive way, he feels like a, a, a fabric uh, a woven into this promotion, what do these shows start to look like? You know, I think this is a bigger loss than some people might initially realize, and it's now another unanswered question in gold class. What was the what was the plan for Minora, Minorita, and Doi with these belts? We will never know, and it makes the history of this unit all that much more intriguing. And... Also, the fact that this gets gold class back to three. Once again, gold class is back to three. And again, like top, we talked about, I talked about Zebrats. Three people units are hard to kind of figure things out. Like the most you can really do other than splitting them all up is to have a trios match with them. And it, it, it's something where I think that all things being good for Minerita, everything kind of turns out the right way. He gets back. I think for him, this is the way to kind of off-ramp him away from the Minorita character in a way. Like, he's been now so far onboarded that, like, Minorita served its purpose, like, but we've seen how he's blossomed and grown past that, that he shows up back as Takumi Hayakawa, and we're just like, oh, yeah, no, Hayakawa's back, all right, hell yeah, but you're absolutely right about... (laughs) That's really funny you say that, because my thought was, even if there's a shakeup coming, they got to keep gold class now because they've got to have Minorita come back at some point. <laughs> so I don't oh, yeah. it, it, It's a very fork in the road here. I think, you know, that might be a, a situation where for the, the, the Dragon Gate office, they go, whew, pressure's off. We can end gold class and we don't have to worry about Minorita's direction right now. Or they can go, well, we got to keep it going because he's got to come back at some point. Oh, and, and we know how this promotion will keep zombie promotion uh, stables around much long past their expiration date because someone has to return. Like see, gold, like, see, see gold class 2022 before Ben K joined. <laughs> right. I, I mean, high end. They, they were all waiting for Kakatora to come back. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it, it, it is something, though, that when we like, you look at like card construction and like the fabric of this, like there's such a role that Minorita has like really embodied that 
and it, it's like a hard one to describe that like i i know for for natural vibes we we always talk about well you have ginky and kz there so it's almost like understudying your future role there but unbeknownst to like all of that planning for jackie funky kamei minorita kind of became the cheerleader kind of character in the way that that i i wonder if that means that just because of kind of like crowd appeal alone is that going to be something where it's like ginky you're moving back up the card again buddy because we need someone to start driving chance yeah yeah i i don't i don't know where things shift into place here i you know i guess my question for you kind of with that same thought in mind is do you do you have a preference for where the triangle gate belts go from here is there a trio that you have in mind that you think you know if it's a four-team tournament if it's a six-man tournament if it's something really wacky i hope these guys end up with the belts it's really at a place right now where you can't put really you could do m3k but you really don't want to do m3k because you have the twin gates and then the whatever resolution for mochizuki mochizuki jr with the book like it just seems like that complicates things too much uh z brats is going i'm still fully the belief of the shakeup. you're not going to mess with them there then you're looking at vibes again and that again proves my point about three person units because vibes has six people that are all healthy that you're able to go like okay kz ut jason lee okay fine go yeah sure why not right because it's something that like all the other units you can't put them on decourage really so like what do you do with it you know what they should do and i'm about 80 percent serious what's up they should just do menorah hulk and doi just keep the, keep the belt on gold class. I you know, I, I thought they had a lot left in this range. What like I I'm almost a little surprised they didn't just make up. Ah, we're doing freebird rules. BB Hulk is to defend the belts now. Like why why are they moving away from it? the other thought I had was well, you know the, the other the other most appealing trigger to me was Yamato Doi and Dragon Kid, and then the belts are still on Doi. It just seems like this. You know, there are a lot of time where the Triangle Gate belts mean nothing. And this Triangle Gate reign with Minora, Minorita, and Doi was really intriguing and seemed like it might have gone somewhere. And now they're just up in the air again. And it's like, well, get, keep give the belt to Doi again. I don't let him pick a trio. Just give the belt to Doi. I want to see him around more. The problem is, if you let Doi pick his trio, then like somehow, then we are seeing Kenoka back in a Dragon Gate ring. You know. Like, we can't have that. <laughs> it's Doi and his drinking buddies. <laughs> I mean... I have, a, I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the one last thing uh, for that I wanted to kind of touch on from this Kobe show, uh, this was the summer festival that they had there, that it was something where a lot of kind of crowd appeals, uh, uh, we had a team of Karaoke Machine, Sachi Hoko Machine, and Super Strong Machine, Ichikawa with Shogun HG Horiguchi. That was the vibe we really had there. But we had a surprise on this uh, Kobe show for uh, completely unannounced as we had a special return during the fourth match, Susumu Mochizuki and Zushi Kanda, as Mr. Nakagawa made his uh, temp. It, 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 it's going to be a slow process, but it, Mr. Nakagawa made his return for the first time since April after departing the company for illness. And what I feel like is was like universally like one of the more touching moments i i think in a dragon gate ring in the last like few years was yes. just the response from kobe about mr nakagawa coming out and everyone being overwhelmed i mean mr nakagawa 
well, took a second to compose himself before getting into the ring and was like trying to hide his face during the opening of it because it, it looked like he had tears in his eyes from it. Just one of those like really nice kind of things. It's something where uh, Nakagawa does is not coming back full time, at least right now. It's a slow recovery process, small steps. And it was something that I, I, I saw his tweet about like how it reminded him about how much fun pro wrestling is and how much he missed it and how much he's looking forward to the day that he's able to be back full time. Yep. So like you said, you know, Nakagawa had to step away from the promotion earlier this year due to health reasons, came back here. And this was another, you know, it's it's funny that the show report I got from somebody was watch the opener, watch the main event. Also, you're going to love Susumu versus Kanda. And I was like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe Kanda had another killer match. You know, th- this guy's had a great year. Maybe, maybe he just ripped out a great singles match out of nowhere. And then Nakagawa came out. And for those that don't know, he's a thin referee with wavy hair. Uh, and seemingly by all accounts, and I've never asked anybody this directly, I've just always gotten this impression from social media that he is probably the most liked member of the Dragon Gate roster. Uh, you know, the, uh, when, when they tour, obviously, you know, Vibes hangs out with Vibes, Zebrads hangs out with Zebrads, Gold Class, Gold Class, etc. Everybody hangs out with Nakagawa. He's friends with Ata. He's friends with KZ. He's friends with the rest of Vibes. He seems to be very friendly with D-Courage. Seems to be very friendly with Gold Class. It just seems like everybody is rooting for this guy. He is, to me, the greatest ref bump referee of all time. It was really sad to see him step away. But yes, everybody that I talked to about this show, you know, I love the main event. I want to talk about that in just a second. But everybody's been leading off with, hey, man, that Nakagawa segment, if you haven't seen it, go watch it because it was it was very moving. Yeah, it's something where uh, Nakagawa's role, I know at one time, especially when it was that Ricochet and Matt Seidel came back, Nakagawa was kind of uh, did the job that CM Punk wished someone did in London. He was the guy that <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's no better way to do this. I remember like seeing like countless uh instagram lives of like ricochet coming back from an airport hanging out with mr nakagawa and just like like cracking up uh i uh, one other nakagawa story uh i for a while i know that he was like still around the dojo this was before his illness and he was gifted an n64 by someone on the roster and he like showed off because he said he had a special ability or something this where he was able to play mario kart with both hands and both feet like four players oh my god so, like, I, I just think he's a wonderful person. It just seems like everyone's just like, oh, Mr. Nakagawa's back. And if you just, like, saw, like, the response on social media and you have not watched it, it's worth going back. It's probably, I would say, if we were going to do moments of the year, case, I think this might be my Dragon Gate moment of the year so far. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. You know, if you if you look at Jay's Twitter feed, DG underscore Jay, the sort of crying emoji face that he threw out there during this show was related to the return of Nakagawa and then the follow-up tweet that said, you know, again, uh, he's just here today for now, but as he continues his recovery, we will see him again. So in what has been, you know, a very challenging few years with the pandemic and some of the departures for Drangate, don't let this get swept under the rug. This was a a moral victory for the entire roster and a real feel good moment. Absolutely. And then kind of the last thing of the weekend, it was that main event match that we wanted to talk about. They did this, uh, Rewa six versus DG stars kind of match. Uh, 
essentially they they put the the three members of the uh, old big six along with the biggest non-big six star of that generation kz so it was yamato bb hulk and kz along with naruki doi teaming up against the uh, four reiwa big six members who are available as slash weren't doing other things on the show and madoka kakuda kota minora binke and strong machine j binke got the win on kz with the masakari in 18 minutes so you know to kind of tie all this together you mentioned at the top that this was the summer festival show for this year they brought that branding into play last year they did it in osaka and they did yamato kz and eita versus yoshioka minora and Kakuta, so generational six-man match there. This year, they do the eight-man with Yamato, Hulk, Casey, and Doi versus Kakuta, Minora, Ben, and Strong Machine J. And I thought this match kicked all sorts of ass. I, you know what I really liked here? And again, it goes back to uh, the guy that I think should still be Triangle Gate champion. The Kakuta-Doi stuff was really intriguing to me. Well, Kakuta discovered that Doi was the Iron Man champion and decided he wanted that belt. <laughs> I don't blame him. I'd want it too. But yeah, it, it was something where here you had that with Kakuta and Doi had awesome interactions. This felt like the moment, the real moment post uh, Dangerous Gate that the crowd seems still to be all in on Minora being just full face, not doing any of the tweener gold class stuff as this. But it, it it was something where I the, the Kakuta Yamato portions towards the end just got very very mean and spirited. <laughs> I it, everything about this on a weekend where hey this was not Dragon Gate's weekend. It was not set up to be Dragon Gate's weekend, but we found a lot of interesting stuff here. This was like the one Dragon Gate match of the week. I went in the notebook for us four and a quarter. It just was exceptional stuff. You know, part of the reason I think the crowd was so into Minora, and it, it really struck me watching this, was just how giving Yamato was to Minora in this match. You know, specifically, there was a chop battle that Minora very clearly came out ahead of, and that is not something that Yamato normally secedes to. And it got me thinking, one, you know, just about, you know, I think Minora's in a really good position there, but... Part of the reason I'm so intrigued about this year specifically of Yamato's career, and I don't think it'll happen this year, but he's been so protected and so wise in the way that he's been used, the way that he's lost, and the way that he's protected his image over the last 15 years at this point. When Yamato looks weak, when somebody comes across better than Yamato, it still comes across as a really big deal. And that's with, you know, dropping the, the Yoshioka Dreamgate match last year. That's with losing to Kai two years ago for the Dreamgate belt. It's not like Yamato never loses. But man, when he does, I, I struggle to think of guys in wrestling. I mean, there's a few out there. I want to put them at the top of the list. But Yamato losing has about as much impact as anybody in all of wrestling to me. Yeah, it, it's something where no matter what, that how they position the Reiwa six, no matter how people, uh, no matter where Yamato's position is on the card, if he's like now not on the front lines or if he ever returns back to it, he's still the company ace. It is something where he, with the exception of perhaps Kento Miyahara, I can't think of one person to one promotion that within the context of the promotion are kind of treated with like that level of deference and being able to do that from Inora who. This is something that for Minora, I think that he really like 
if we re when we get to a point we can reevaluate Menorah's like rise like we're we're gonna look at that dangerous gate match from two years ago and have some questions about it uh, about if that match was the time for Menorah or not but I think it was something there that you saw with him and Yamato two years ago you didn't you would not have this sort of interaction in that Dreamgate match and seeing him kind of that now make that step up has been it. it it's been a long time coming, at least for the crowd and, and for Yamato to kind of receive this because it did kind of feel like at a certain point, like I, I think if we forecast it out, if we're going to say which one is going to be the company guy, it's going to be Minora. So I feel like that that kind of positioning and doing that to Minora and this kind of conf and this kind of back and forth was really pointed to me. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I can speak to this as somebody who's quite literally in the position. It's very rewarding watching Minora right now because I'm a fan of the guy. And for a very long time, I thought, well, boy, I'm going to cash in these chips early. This guy's a, a, a made man. He's a superstar in the wings. I can't wait to see what he does. And then it all went away. And we don't need to litigate the story of Minora again. I'm sure we'll do it next week and then the week after that. But to see him now come around to the other side of it, to come out okay, to still have some of that success... It's very nice. You know, it, it's really exciting watching him right now and seeing him go nose to nose with Yamato and seeing Yamato give him the respect that maybe he doesn't deserve, but he certainly uh, uh, can be can be bettered by it is very nice to see. It, it, it's a good time once again to be a fan of Coach Minora. Yeah, and it's definitely something where with everything else that's kind of happened within the promotion, it it seems like it's it, it's taken. Where I don't feel like look, where we were talking about in Dangerous Gate, like are we getting to the point where you kind of can't do that kind of loss anymore from Minora? Like are we getting to the point where there's actual damage here? It seems like this was that one loss that kind of pushes him, at least in the crowd's mind, to the point where now on whenever you have him in that kind of position, you have to consider pulling the trigger. Yeah, because he's taken his lumps. You know, there's no... It's not beginner's luck with him anymore, and it's not this, you know, Shinsuke Nakamura-esque, you know, super rookie, super Nova sort of deal. No, he's a a guy in the trenches. You know, he's, he's a guy on the battlefield who has taken a few hits, he's hit a few targets, and he he's in a good spot you know he feels like for lack of a better term he feels like one of the boys whereas last year he kind of felt like a bubble boy like he was getting special treatment special protection that is all gone now and and it's actually worked out better for him yeah no yeah absolutely and those were kind of the the two shows we had this week in nara and in kobe as well they are doing the loop this week so i i was spouting off case about Ultimo and Chris Jericho. Ultimo is booked on this weekend's loop. Ah, what a bummer. Yeah, I mean, you could either be in front of a hostile crowd in Chicago, or you could be in a six-man tag teaming with Dragon Kid Takashi Yoshida against Yamato, Ginky Horiguchi, and Ho-Ho Loom. That is a no-bump match for Ultimo. He's been working more and more Ho-Ho. Have you noticed that? Well, yeah, I would, too. I would imagine Ho-Ho works incredibly light and is a joy to be around. <laughs> I, you know, it'd be, it'd be great. No, no, the, I, I'd also want to do that. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, that that is kind of the, the light way there, but it's one of those things where you're just like, oh, 
did not necessarily see Ho-Ho and Ultimo being in the same ring of each other. That's not the world I thought we'd be in three years ago. No, not at all. Real quick before we go, do you want to preview the September 7th Corkin show? I was actually filling time as I got that pulled up. All right. Yes. Let's so, go. so quick, so quick programming note here. So obviously we're recording this August 29th. Most of you will hear this, you know, August 30th and beyond this Corkin show is Thursday, September 7th. As of right now, plan on the next open the voice get episode being recorded on Tuesday, September 12th. Unless something changes, we'll put it in the Voices of Wrestling Discord and on our Twitter account. No new episode next week. The next time you hear us, we will be reviewing this show. Yep. So this show kicks off. It is on the 7th at 6.30 local time. That's 5.30 in the East, 2.30 in the West, 9.30 Greenwich Mean Time. Kicks off with KZ and Strong Machine J versus Kota Minora and BB Hulk. Match 2, Ultimo Dragon, Kagatora, Punch Tomonaga versus... UT, Jason Lee, and Jackie Funky Kame. Three-way match, Misaki Mochizuki versus Don Fuji versus Konamao Ichikawa. The aforementioned match for Shuji Kondo, Ryu Fuda, Daiki Yanagiuchi versus Kai, Hio, and Ishin. Match five, Susumu Mochizuki, Yazushi Kanda, and Mochizuki Jr. versus Naruki Doi, Eita, and Takashi Yoshida. And then the Big Boss Shimizu versus Reiwa Generation Leader Series continues with its first non-tournament match, Benke versus Big Bosch Simzu. And then the main event, as we were talking about earlier on on the show, Takuma Nishikawa Japan debut match, Yamato, Dragon Kid, Takuma Nishikawa versus Madoka Kakuda, Yuki Yoshioka, and Dragon Daya. Any last thoughts you had on the, the card we have for Corkin? Yeah, you know, just real quick, because I guess we didn't really talk about Shimizu versus Ben K this week. You know, we we sort of alluded to the fact that they might do something like this, and that they did do something like this, which is seemingly Shimizu running through the Reiwa Six Guys. He did not wrestle in King of Gate. I am really excited about this. You know, I think we all thought this would headline. It's their first singles match in five years. Last time they wrestled was on a Kobe Sambo Hall show in 2018. Only one singles match before that in 2017, and and KBS Hall. So. A singles match we haven't seen a lot of guys with a rich history. I think that match should be really excellent. And then the main event, you know, I have no idea what to expect. I have no idea what sort of finish to expect. I don't know what we're going to get from Nishikawa. You know, as I talked about when we reviewed Dangerous Gate and heard the news that he was coming back to Japan, he's somebody who, if you watch him, you know, for just a match or two, you can see there's a lot of talent there. But the talent that he was wrestling in Mexico was often very subpar, you know, not exactly decourage. And so it was really hard to gauge sort of what his skill level is. And I, I, I still think it is to that degree, even if I watch his more recent matches in Mexico. I can't point to, at this time of recording, the, the best Nishikawa match from Mexico. I'm going to go through a few more and eventually I'll try to highlight one in the Dragon Geek channel on the Voices of Wrestling Discord. Is like, hey, here's your preview for Nishikawa. Here's sort of what to expect. But, I mean, what a what a massive debut this is. Main event, Cork and Hall. It's not even one of those like Mochizuki Jr. where, you know, it was, hey, surprise, you know, X is Mochizuki Jr. He is headlining and his name is on the marquee in his debut in Corkin. 
I can't think of another time that that has happened, period. I'm sure it has. I'm sure there's been other wrestlers that have headlined their in their debut match in Corkin specifically, but I can't think of them. So historically, this is a massive deal, and I'm really curious to see if he can rise to the occasion. Yeah, this is just a fascinating Corkin card, just like how it's constructed, seeing where what we get from Takuma Nishikawa after all this time. Like, that... That that easily is the highlight there, but you you have like an intriguing like the M3K versus uh, I guess freelance army is something where like now that I'm thinking about this in the Triangle Gate situation, is there any way that they can get Doi, Eita, and Yoshida the belts? Because that might be a solve that helps out a lot of things. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, that it's an intriguing card because you you could almost in a weird way case, can we make this into a tournament for the Triangle Gate with like the most bizarre teams possible? It would have to be a three-way six-man to finish this off here, but you could very easily have a Triangle Gate team if we did this in this fashion case. Ultimo Dragon, Kagatora, and Punch Tomonaka. No. <laughs> well that was my idea but Casey, <laughs> you, you know we've reached the part the point in the show where i'm trying to get punch on monaga titles we got to call it here no uh, it, anything that you wanted to hit on before we get out of here bud no no i you know i i uh we covered a lot today i i, I had a good time and uh that's all i got Absolutely, and we'll be back in a couple weeks here talking about this Cork and Hall show. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate and the uh, Voices of Wrestling Discord and the Voices of Re- and the Open the Voice Gate channel as well as the Dragon Gate channel. Case is underscore in your case. I'm at I, I'm at Fujiheya. Thanks for listening to Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back with you in a few weeks. Take care, everyone. Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener. Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.